Hello, welcome to Feed, Play, Love, the bite-sized podcast for parents. I'm Siobhan Hunt. This is a show all about parenting. I speak to experts and carers about everything from fussy eating, toddler behaviour, sleep and more. There's a lot in our modern lives that make us feel stressed. When you start a family... Those things in that world can collide. There can be financial stress, relationship stress, new baby won't stop crying stress. It's a lot to deal with. Matthew Johnston and Dr. Michael Player have produced a book to help people deal with the many different stresses in their lives. It's called Stressless, and they join me in the studio now. Matthew, Michael, welcome. Morning. Morning. Um, Is stress a modern world affliction? Is it only here because of the busy lives we lead? Michael? Uh, No, certainly. Like Stress has been around since we've been around, and it's been around since... Um, animals have been around. So basically stress, you know, if you want to go back to the etiology of it, it's created in a part of the brain called the reptilian brain, and uh, and we, which has been around um, forever. So, I mean, the, the, the stress response, um, historically and evolutionarily, its purpose is to um, keep us away from danger. So uh, we've got a little smoke alarm in our, in our brain called the amygdala, and it tells us when there's when there's danger about. So you know that's been around forever, um, and it will be. But I think you know the point that you might be trying to make is, you know, are we more stressed these days? I think quite potentially that that we are. But it's not because we have more physical threats because we have m- many less. It's because we have more psychological threats, and that's what we're reacting to. I think the interesting thing in this book is that I, I'm sure there's somewhere you say the irony is we have less physical threats, but the stress that we're feeling is more detrimental to our health than even those dangers were. How did you to come to, did you meet through stressful situations? How did you come to be a partnership? Michael crashed into me. No. <laughs> Damn you. Not a very good driver. <laughs> no, we, we used to work together at the um, Black Dog Institute. So Mike was a clinical psychologist and I was the creative director there for several years and and we just used to chat and then we worked on a project together and and we just sort of had a fantastic potential for a book because I think, um, you know, as Michael said, you know, stress affects us all. But I think people kind of wear it as a badge of honour and they, everyone likes to say I'm so busy or I'm so stressed out and they kind of, I I think they see that as some sort of good thing or, you know, I'm, I'm obviously doing something well or I'm achieving, but really if you've got ongoing unrelenting stress, it is, you know, one of the biggest precursors to a significant mental health issue or or a, or a physical issue. So it's just, um, yeah. So we just thought it was a good idea to bring Michael's yeah. research and my imagery together to try and telegraph, you know, some simple ideas. Before I ask more questions, I should explain that the book is beautifully put together because it does have the um, facts and the information that Michael, you've you've been doing for years, but also it's got some really. <clears throat> funny, quirky illustrations that you've put in there, which I think uh, Matthew has done the illustrations. Yes. Um, it's, an, it's an interesting way to do a book about stress because there are so many different books out there. So that is one thing I'd like to point out about the book. Um, the other thing is, uh, bringing my father into this conversation, dad used to always say that stress was relative. He was a um, He was in a bank for many years, 38 years, worked his way up, worked in international finance, 
poor man. I used to call him in the middle of meetings asking how I could register my car and stuff like that. <laughs> um, so he had a pretty good handle on stress, but he used to say to me um, that stress was relative because I've had jobs in my life where I've been very stressed. And he said, look, it doesn't matter if you're the CEO of a global corporation or you're just working in a small business. Um, both people will experience stress in the same way. Do you agree with that, Michael? So uh, I'll pick up on a couple of points there. So if you think you're under stress, then you are. If you think stress is bad for you, it is. If you think that you can manage the stress that you're under, then it, it has a least detrimental effect on you. So, I mean, that's what's been borne out in the research. There's re a lot of research out of the US where, you know, they followed some people and they, they told them, you know, some stressful incidents were, were bad and, and they and they basically, the ones that thought that it was bad, their health suffered. The ones that thought that it wasn't that bad, they lived longer. So from a biological point of view, if you think it's bad for you, it is. I think the, the other point is the way that you manage your stress. Um, and what I try to stress in this book is that, you know, stress is a, a cumulative disorder, right? So basically, a lot of our uh, listeners may may associate with is we just tend to add things to our day, don't we? You know, just, oh, well, I'll pick up the, the neighbor's kids and I'll look after them and then I'll pick up whatever from the shop. The and cake for the birthday. Exactly. For the party All these things, uh, that it just becomes cumulative. Uh, and then you get to the point where someone comes screaming about something and you just lose your mind. You lose the plot. So basically, with that in mind, you know, what we've tried to do in the book is try to show, you know, what your triggers are. You know, what are the things, you know, drop-offs, you know, nine o'clock in the morning, trying to drop a kid off at school with cars and traffic and things like that. Okay, that's going to be something that's going to cause me a lot of stress. And then I've got to go and do X, Y, Z. You know, making sure that within that day that you're doing some things which cool your stress. I mean, there's some, some lovely pictures in there that Matthew's done about heating up behaviors and cooling down behaviors. So making sure that you're aware of your triggers, you're aware of your symptoms, but you also know the things that are actually going to bring your stressometer, thermometer of, for your stress, which is something that Matthew brought out, which is amazing. It's just such a, uh, an easy concept for people to, to grasp. But make sure that you have got some um, activities planned in your day that are going to reduce your stress so that you can keep a level head. Right. Well, let's um, break it down to a few areas that I think are particularly relevant to new families because you have different chapters different um, dealing with different types of stress. Um, financial stress can be something that comes up for new families because often one parent will take time off for maternity leave. They may decide that one parent stays at home. So they're, they're dealing with um, reduced income. Do you have any tips for new parents dealing with that kind of stress? Move to Gosford. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't mean that to anyone who lives in Gosford. But you know, I, I just think you know it is one of the hard things because we want it all, don't we? We want to, we want to raise the kids. We want to have the job. We want to live in Sydney. We want to be near the CBD. We, you know, and and that's part of where it becomes difficult. You know, when I grew up, my dad had the same job for fifteen years, and and he was the breadwinner. I think when when he retired, he was earning something like thirty thousand dollars a year or something, and he you know he managed to put us all through school, and we lived in an okay suburb, and and um, you know, and and mum was the primary caregiver, so she was there. Nowadays, you know, it's not the same. There's not the consistency in, in jobs. Both part partners have to work, you know, and then there's the child caring, and, and child care is extremely expensive. So I think there's a lot of stress around that. I, I, I don't know, Michael, do you have any suggestions on how people can cool their jets around? 
trying to balance it all? Look, um, I, I think basically, you know, I do this thing with my clients called radical acceptance. <laughs> and so basically, radical acceptance means sort of accepting of the situation as it is. Like, I don't think there's any of us in there that can, um, we've probably all thought about it and some more than others about sort of printing money and uh, <laughs> and putting that into into circulation um, but but you know there needs to be some sort of acceptance of the situation where it is i mean obviously when one partner is looking after the child becomes a primary caregiver then the reality has to hit home that well we can't do the things that we were doing and just to supplement what we've perceive we're missing out on with really, really basic sort of fun things. The beach doesn't cost a lot. Going to the park and putting a a rug down and having a picnic and things like that. Just trying to sort of fill your day with these fun things, which also brings your arousal down and actually makes you sort of more, um, yeah, brings the family together a little bit more. I'm not allowed to suggest any other... um, illegal ways of making money um, but, but, <laughs> but just, just but, but more about uh, sort of bringing accepting what you have accepting and what, what you have live within your means living within within your means as yeah. I said you know you the, can't put the child back no, you yeah. can't. No. <laughs> so you're stuck with it. Radi- radical acceptance. It's something yeah. that most women think when they start going into labour. There's no way out of this <laughs> no. but without, you know, we just have to get through it. We'll be back with Matthew Johnston and Dr. Michael Player right after this. Sometimes parenting can be challenging and sometimes it can be a downright laugh. What we're really talking about is your son thinks babies are made through hugging. You have to rectify this problem. Because now every time he hugs you, he's like, are you pregnant or am I pregnant? I'm Siobhan Hunt and the Parent Panel is a weekly podcast I host where we invite a mum and a dad to discuss the events and stories of the week. The Parent Panel, available wherever you get your podcasts. It's interesting that throughout the book, this idea of cooling down the things that are causing you stress, because when I think of an average day, even my average day, and my kids are now almost five and seven, so they're older, um, it can feel when you're caring for small children that you just simply don't have the time to put the brakes on. Mm. Um, And you see it all the time in the way you respond to them. Like children don't operate in the same time frame. Mm, If they want something, they want it now. If they want to talk to you about something ridiculous Mm. (laughs) when you really can't talk to them, they want that now. And we can just respond like that. And I don't think people, generally parents, don't want to respond that way. Yeah, Yeah, my my wife Ainsley quite often talks about the mental workload. And that I think that's becoming quite a common euphemism among uh, young mums. And and we've got teenagers and and it's not so much with little kids, but it's just that whole kind of thinking ahead, you know, what's on, uh, the pick up, the drop off, um, the lunches, the, um, you know, the sleepovers, the camp, the, you know, it's that whole kind of endless list of things that go on, you know, and a lot of it's thankless, you know, and the kids don't care and they don't care if you're exhausted and they don't really check and say, how are you going, mum? You look a bit tired. Could I get you a chamomile tea? Um, You know, it's just this endless, you know, and it is, you know, I I say that kids are the greatest accelerator of time because it's Groundhog Day every day because you're just doing the same thing, same thing, you know. That's why, you know, we've done this book because it's just sort of, yes, we all are busy. We all have deadlines or jobs or or kids or whatever. And it's just the recipe to actually counterbalance the stressful things in our lives. And there's no silver bullet. There's no magic pill. It's just really a potpourri of little things that can make a big difference. Mm. That's definitely you put those skills yeah. in there, don't so you? One thing I, I would say is like when you are sitting there, and I do this all the time, standing there washing up, uh, you know, when the kids are 
causing absolute havoc in the background there and you're too afraid to look around because then you, have to, <laughs> you have to deal with it. Um, so what I, I get to do is I do the, the belly breathing, which is a big part of the, the process. So I try and educate people to breathing into their belly and then sort of um, extending the out breath there. So, you know, that stress, that constant mental load that Matthew's talking about, that's sort of exacerbating the stress response, right? Because you're getting what we call racing thoughts and all of a sudden you're starting to feel tense. You're starting to feel uh, tension. Your, your breath is really shortened. So you're just doing this chest breathing. And so what I get people to do is, is to do that belly breathing. So just taking sort of long, deep breaths into the stomach, just while you're washing away, folding clothes, you know, hanging stuff on the line, whatever it is, and just getting all those breaths in there. And what that's actually doing on a physical level, it's actually you know, activating the parasympathetic nervous system, which is the opposing system to the sympathetic or the fight or flight response. And so when you do that, then you notice that the thoughts become less prevalent and you notice that you're a bit calmer there and, and then you can turn around and and finally look what, yeah. you know, face, face what, they look, what they've done. <laughs> I, I actually heard, a, I wish I could remember her name, but I heard a woman um, speaking about raising children and she said, I just wish I'd spent more time playing with toys than putting them Bring them away. away. Yeah. And I, and I think, you know, there's the whole thing of, you know, accepting what you can and cannot change. And, and kids just come with a lot of chaos and a lot of mess. And, and I think there's just, there's got to be an acceptance in that and that you can't control everything and that you can't control that they're going to f- throw their food across the table and, no. you know. Um, <laughs> or put their toys away. Yeah, exactly. Themselves. <laughs> um, with that breathing process and the acceptance, how much uh, of that do you advise people use in their relationships? Because, um, you can find once you have children that it, well, I find, let's just put it out there on the table. I have a lot of patience for my children. Um, I have an endless pit of love. Poor old husband, though. <laughs> it's all kind of run out by the time he gets in the door and he can say one thing and I'll just be like, oh, are you kidding me? Look at the whiteboard. Um, <laughs> that's how we deal with all the things we've got to do a whiteboard. Um, but of course the relationships, whilst they might, you might feel like they're causing stress. If you've chosen to have a family together and you've made that commitment, you are the basis of the family, mm. but often the relationships, as soon as the baby comes along, you can start bickering about, mm. I don't know how it's dressed to go outside or you know, whether it's time to take them for a walk, the little things can just ratchet up so quickly. So is deep breathing the way to get through that as well? Yeah, I I think, um, I mean, certainly that's going to calm you so that you're going to uh, interact. And what I do find is that, because I'm a couples therapist, so once I do actually have a couple come into me, you know, I'll often ask them how how long they've noticed uh, there's been troubles for, and they'll say, you know, three years or four years. Uh, and how old your eldest child? Three or four. So it's a real trigger time. And I think you know, once people do actually decide to have a child, and particularly as part of the prenatal process, is it should be that hey, look, this is the primary relationship. You guys have got to you know get on the same side here, otherwise you'll drift. Because like mothers. And um, if they're, if they are the primary caregiver, they just throw all their attention onto the child, right? Cause they're, it's in their biological nature to do so. And they do such a wonderful job and we wouldn't have it any other way. And sometimes the, the, the partner will feel a little bit, well, a little bit miffed. He's not getting the same attention that he used to get. And so he'll go off and do his thing. And then, you know, all of a sudden two people are living you know, housemates and, and basically, you know, just trying to put fires out, basically, they're mutual firemen. Generally, all the troubles that I find within relationships are all based upon distance 
and managing distance. And so when someone's getting, you know, cranky or they've got short temper and things like that, a lot of the times it's just like, I, I want you to hear, like I want you to understand what I'm doing or what I've done or acknowledge me, use some soft words. So a lot of the things is really about trying to get people to be in touch with their softer emotions. Like when you're partner might come home and he doesn't know what he's supposed to do it's like well shit don't you listen to me like didn't you hear what i said yesterday and and part of you would be going oh he doesn't care you know what i've done or what i'm doing and so you might react with what we call secondary emotions which are more irritation and frustration and anger um, rather than the softer emotions like oh if you just acknowledge what i did i'm feeling a bit alone here like i'm feeling overwhelmed here and i feel like you're not on my side and actually communicating that away will get a much different response than the irritation or the frustration, which will eventually will immediately put that person, you know, put, put their wall up as well. And we'll start throwing hand grenades at each other saying, it's not me, it's you. you know, mm. It's not me, it's you. I feel you. like there's a whole other podcast in that. <laughs> <laughs> Just relationships in general. Oh, look, the, the final question I have for you is probably the hardest one. Great. So we've talked, <laughs> we've talked about things in life that can ratchet up your stress levels like finances or relationships. And those are generally things that you can deal with in different ways through talking, etc. A crying baby, however, cannot be spoken to in terms of why are you crying and will you please stop? But it is a sound that is designed to elicit a response in its caregiver. Um, <laughs> and it can cause a lot of stress, not just for the person who's responding, but for, say, the, the other partner who can't do anything. Have you got any tips for how to deal with the stress of a crying child? Noise cancelling headphones? <laughs> I, look, it's, it's I want to know if you tried that, Matthew, yeah. when you had your own children. It's, it's quite funny. I, I, we were just saying we were having coffee before. My first daughter, Abby, she was like a beanbag. You know, she'd pop her down. She was so content and so happy. And she went to bed and slept all the way through. And then we had Luca, our second child, and she had reflux. And she was just so loud. And she used to, she used to, go, she used to scream and her face would go crimson. And her little, she had these neon white eyebrows, you know, which were just... <laughs> You know, and I remember trying to, I remember walking up and down, you know, it was exhausting. And I remember that whole thing of walking up and down and trying to pat her. But I was just going back to what Mike was saying, just trying to center yourself and not going with it, not getting sucked into it and just trying to breathe and slow down. And I even do that in really busy places. Like if, you know, I remember when I lived in New York, trying to really center myself and calm myself down in Times Square. I think it's the same thing. And it's just a matter of, um, you know, sometimes you've got to let them go a little bit and maybe just get away and, and just calm yourself and then come back and recenter it. But look, I think it's the, the age old conundrum, you know, it's just about, because it can really affect you and it can really upset you as well. So it's just managing to try and you know, engage with that. Yeah. I think one of the things that we wrote about in the book there is suffering equals, you know, pain time resistance. And, and that's where this is a, a really difficult time and there's nothing worse than seeing your child suffering right and and obviously if that's day after day after day then no you know mother Teresa is going to get a point where they we have have a breaking point and, and you know we, we want to react but you, you know if we can try and calm ourselves in the moments where we're not faced with that like when we're doing the, the normal chores and I'm a big person for doing mindfulness during you know, monotonous chores because you can really get yourself into the moment, bring your arousal down, and then you've got a bit more wiggle room there for those situations. So just trying to know that this too will pass and just sort of, you know, have some radical acceptance. It's not like you like this and that you are you think it's okay and that you want it to continue, but that's the reality of the situation, you know, 
all um, you know, there's been a, a number of steps which happened which have created this situation, and because those steps have happened, you can't do anything about it. Yeah, I also just add to that, I, I heard a guy talking on the radio today about um, the, the idea of self-compassion, and he said self-compassion isn't a concept about being soft and woolly and, you know, peace and love. And, you know, he said it's really going down at the depths of, you know, really accepting just what you were saying, Michael, about what is, you know, that this is bloody difficult. I am really exhausted, you know, and, and having a bit of forgiveness for yourself for feeling like crap and feeling overwhelmed, you know, and, and then start from there, you know, and then, you know, do some of the breathing and a bit of kindness and, you know, just taking some time out and handing the child over to your husband when he gets home <laughs> and go <laughs> out. Go. <laughs> <laughs> go to a yoga class. Yeah, that's right. Oh, Matthew Markle, it's a fabulous book. Thank you so much for coming in and chatting with us. Thanks for having Thank us. You. That was Matthew Johnson and Dr. Michael Player. They are the co-authors of Stress Less. It's a beautifully illustrated book. You'll find links to where you can buy one in the notes for this episode. On the next episode of Feed, Play, Love, a very personal story about finding a way through incredible grief and loss. I didn't realise how strong I was or how resilience, maybe not the quite quite the right word but yes in a, in a sense what I'm trying to say is that when we first lost Jamie that for me was it I was like that's I'm done I'm out I don't I don't, I don't this life is you know it was too painful I was I was done I thought that my life was over and that's a really big thing for me to say because I've never been that sort of a person there's always hope if that makes sense but I was I was done and so to be able to, to see that I could come back from that and that there was actually hope to be found and there was I was able to find beauty in the world again and I was able to be thankful and to be grateful really showed me that as humans we I don't know there's something in, there's something deep in us that sometimes I feel like we only access it when you go through that real struggle and suffering so that's a little gift that I've been given That's musician and mum Jenny McGregor Join me for this incredibly moving interview on the next episode of Feed, Play, Love. This podcast is produced by Elise Cooper. I'm Siobhan Hunt. See you next time.